Hello, Hoop World. My name is Tuck Clary. I write for Slipper Soul Fits and Busting Brackets. Joining me, my co-host, the podcasting extraordinaire, Austin King. And we have a very special guest today. He is the co-director of Under Armour Future, former D1 and D2 coach, the coordinator for Under Armour Association and Under Armour Rise, the skilled sports hoops report scout, the extraordinaire, D Coleman out of Memphis. How are you doing, D? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We would love your insight on some of these guys we're interested in and and kind of confounded by in in some cases. Um so we're recording this on Saturday. Alabama just completely dismantled Kentucky thoroughly and decisively. And D, we we just wanted to talk of course, about a guy that Austin and I both love that we're, we're, we're buying all the stock that we can. Uh, what are your thoughts on freshman wing at Brandon Miller? Yes. Um, for me, I think Brandon Miller is my favorite prospect in this year's draft. Um, Ooh, he reminds favorite. me a lot. He is my favorite. He reminds over, me a lot. Over Wembenyama, over Scoot. You got yes. no yes. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, think, whoa. I I don't, I don't, I don't think that he's better than okay, those guys. Okay, okay, but it's he just, is. You he have is, a crush on Brandon Miller. Yeah, he is crushing. my personal favorite. Okay. He is my all right, personal all right, favorite. All right. I think, I think Wimbyama, number one overall pick, lock, stock, barrel. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah. I think School Henderson, hell of an athlete, probably the best point guard that you can pick in this year's draft. But after that, my favorite prospect is Brandon Miller. He's six okay. nine, six ten. You got him over Ahmed too. You got him over Ahmed. Yeah, and wow. I've seen I've seen Ahmed and I've seen Ahmed and Sor live at Curry Camp. Uh, they're freak athletes. My thing is, I'm a little skeptical. They're shooting at the next mm. level. Yes. So Brandon can shoot. Can drive. He's long. He's athletic. He rebounds. He can guard. So. He kind of reminds me of a bit of a Brandon Ingram, but better on a defensive end. So I I like that in Brandon. And that's okay. why he's my favorite prospect in the 2023 okay. draft. Brandon is six foot nine plus wingspan. Um, he's coming into college. He's t- already 20 years old. Uh, some people are knocking that. What What is your take on guys that are a little older uh, maybe not so with experience, but just coming in at an older age. Right. Um, I think we kind of got to get away from that because once you get the league, um, age goes out the window. You're playing against grown men every single day. I know you want to draft these 18, 19 year olds that are one and done or like Victor Wimbayama comes from overseas, like a Luka Doncic or something like that. But um, the guy is only a year older than those guys, so he's still in that. School. Um, I don't. Think it's too. It should be too much focus on him being a twenty-year-old freshman. Um, where Asur and Armin and Amin, they are both eighteen years old right now. So when a draft comes, by the time they play an NBA game, they'll be nineteen years old. Mm-hmm. So they're a little bit older as well. So it's not like they're um, not in the kind of, I guess, position. So. Mm-hmm. 
Piano Sir and Amen are playing against like significantly worse competition. Exactly. In my opinion. Exactly. Like, oh yeah. If, I think I think the main thing for like, oh, he's a little bit older is like, well, he's a little farther along in his development. So if he's putting up better numbers, then like there's a reason for that, which is he's older, so he's up farther ahead in the process. But like when you compare Brandon Miller's numbers to Amen or Asar. You have to also factor in that basically they're playing like prep schools. Right. Uh, they're not right. playing high level college players. Like right. in college and now, especially with the COVID year, you got guys that are 24, 25 25 years old. 25 years old. He's, he's playing against yeah. grown men that would be in yes. the NBA, the yeah. same age men that are in the NBA. So um, 100%. Like, like Oscar Sheewe. Oscar Sheewe is 24 years old. Yeah. He's 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 a veteran in NCAA college basketball. So he's playing against that type of competition. One hundred percent. So uh, Tuck and I have talked about Brandon a fair amount. One of the things that has worried us is his ability to finish at the rim. Right now, he's taking about thirty percent of his shots at the rim. He's only shooting forty-eight percent at the rim and only 22% of those are assisted on. So it's basically all dribble drive off a of pick and roll or in semi transition, him taking the ball and getting downhill and he's not finishing well at the rim. What do you attribute that issue for him? And do you think there is a way for him to improve or is this just, Hey, this is going to be a serious limitation in his game and he's really only going to be an elite three-point shooter and solid to good pick-and-roll ball handler slash maybe he's going to be a pick-and-pop guy at the next level. Right. I think that one of the main reasons that Brandon might struggle is he's not the biggest on the court anymore he was in high school. Um, so you have guys that are protecting them. you got to finish over them, finish through contact. So I think he's into going from a high school player to finishing with college contact. And as long as whoever his trainer is, they continue to develop that, maybe give him some flow, maybe um, pound him with a pad as he's going up to finish at the rim. And then you, he'll start to, that percentage will start to go up. So I definitely think he can work on it and get better at it. I don't think he'll always be a low percentage at the rim kind of guy. Um, but it's also on him and his trainer if that's a, an area that they think that they need to work at. Yeah, I I think he had a, a pretty nice finish today in kind of semi-transition, yes. caught it on the wing, took two nice dribbles and finished through contact. Like, I think some of it is just strength and ability. And like yeah. Maybe he doesn't and have also, the first that we would like from him, but... I also think that he doesn't play above the rim as much as he should. No, because we're just if, crazy. if you play if he, if he, if he does play above the rim more often than not then he's going to finish those through contact which is crazy because like the number one thing folks talked about when he was coming into college was like his springs like that dude gets up he's able to he get does. up and and for whatever reason he's not really playing above the rim like you mentioned as much in college um with with his shooting uh Clearly, uh, clearly he's he's just knocking down absurd shots. He made a couple days ago like a forty-five foot three-pointer, just like not even set, just just pulling up uh, last second. What what about his shooting? 
do you think is going to project to the next level? It seems like he's he could only become even better of a shooter considering the amount of uh, defensive coverage he's getting. Right. And with the way that the NBA is going, like they want everybody to shoot the ball. So he's only going to continue to shoot the ball. Um, what I did hear earlier on the broadcast was that the announcers were saying NBA scouts are kind of worried about he has a slow release. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also six. So I think if he can rise above you and he at least then he's fine. But they might tailor try to getting the ball out of his hands a little quicker but you don't alter a shot you just tell him hey instead of taking two seconds to shoot the ball let's shave off 0.8 seconds from that so it takes you one to shoot the ball now and then that 0.8 seconds makes a huge difference because now he's getting it all faster and it allows him to knock it down at a more efficient yeah but the thing is with him even if it's a slower and a little bit of a lower release uh which We've seen people try to concern Troller around low releases. Ask Tyrese Halliburton how that's going. Um, pretty well, pretty well. Uh, but the other thing is, like, Brandon Miller is a legitimately very good, tough shot maker. Like, it's not like yes. when he's closely guarded. It's like, man, he just can't. He just can't do it. Like, he can't make it. It's That's not the case with Brandon right. Miller at all. Uh, I'm curious, D, what you thought in that first half we saw Brandon struggle uh, against Jacob Toppin to some degree. What do you think he struggled with the most? Uh, and how did he adjust in the second half? Because he did end up finishing the game with 19 points, went seven for 15 from the field, two or six from three, um, and, and also had seven rebounds. I think as a whole, um, in the first half, Alabama wasn't able to really push the ball like that and I think Brandon has to get going like early and he wasn't able to do that so um it just took some time they had to run some sets for him he had to knock down a shot I think he hit one three-pointer in the first half yeah got to the free throw line hit a mm-hmm. couple free throws um but I think they just had to get him going and in the second half he got going so he went from seven points and he scored what was that 11 12 in the second he scored half. 12 in the second half he so, had seven in the first yeah so yeah they, i think they i think that he got going a little more they got out and transition a lot more in the second yep. half because their defense was like on top of kentucky um yep. he was able to and then also make shots so um yeah he, you got to get him going early i i think what's tough about and what's very different in the college game from the nba game is like Jacob Toppin was essentially just face guarding and only guarding Brandon Miller. And it's like, you can't really do that in the NBA. Like you have to be way too, you have to be way more connected. So like that style of defense can't really be played against an NBA player. The other thing is that Alabama is so pick and roll heavy, but they, they struggled setting those good ball screens on Toppin to free up Brandon Miller at all. And then when they tried to set like pin downs for him off ball to get him going, they weren't setting them low enough or well enough to actually get him freed up. Uh, you know, Brandon's a good athlete, but Jacob Toppin is equally as a freak athlete, it, or if not better. And so when you don't have great screen setting and setting them in the right positions, 
and you don't execute that properly, you're just not going to be freed up, mm-hmm. especially when yeah. someone is, you know, not playing help side defense at all, not making like you're not switching anybody off. He's sticking to you the whole time. And his sole job is just to try and make your life hell, which is just not going to be an issue at the NBA level, um, which it can be in the college level, which we see over and over right. again where, you know, great players in the NBA, they had times where they really struggled when they were younger in college basketball because the style of defense and the court size is just shrunk down. It's just yeah. smaller. And so uh, it is just it is just different. Okay, so there is another dude on the Alabama team that I know has caught Austin King's eye. Uh, he's he's a fast riser after this game for our associate Austin. Noah Clowney, six foot ten freshman. He's he's super young. He's going to he's not even going to be nineteen by draft day. Uh, he's he kind of does everything on both ends. Austin, what about Noah has you so infatuated? Okay, there's a number of reasons, but I mean, primarily it's on the defensive end. Like he is extremely long. Uh, he has the body and the frame that I think he can add quite a bit of weight and still maintain that athleticism and fluidity. Um, he is such a good and versatile defender where if you want to play him in an all switching scheme, he can do that. I mean, he had plays where he went from guarding Damian Collins to switching out on Antonio Reeves, uh, face guarding Antonio Reeves. So one that's knowing the scout, knowing that Antonio Reeves, which is not a guy that you're supposed to guard, uh, that he can switch out, know that he's a three-point shooter, stick with him, then switch back again with Brandon Miller onto Damian Collins. Brandon Miller actually gets the block after a perfectly executed switch. Um, he can protect the rim. He's one of the better rim protectors in college basketball as a freshman. Um, and that's not just as an off-ball rim protector um, coming off of the weak side, but on ball, like if you're going to post him up or you're going to come directly at him, uh, he's able to block shots that way. If you want to play a drop coverage, if you want to ice pick and rolls with him, like he's capable of doing it all. And he is just such a versatile defender and athlete where I think you can play him at the four or the five if he's able to put on weight or in those small ball lineups. Uh, You can have true rim protection with a guy like Noah Clowney in the NBA. Um, You know, I'm not going to say he's, you know, fucking Evan Mobley out there, but uh, he he fits that mold. I kind of like him as like a more – fluid miles turner um as, as far as the defender um but a little bit more switchable uh, the thing is too with noah is he's a capable offensive player like mm-hmm. he's pretty solid in transition uh i i think he has a real potential to be a good three-point shooter i like his um three-point motion and like mechanics for the most part um, he's only shooting 30% from three right now, but I think that will uh, improve with time. Uh, free throw percentage, not great, which is the bigger indicator uh, of what your three-point percentage is going to be at the NBA level. But he's shooting 69% from two right now. Um, and he is shooting at the rim. Uh, what is he shooting? 62% or I'm sorry, 72% 
And then 62% of those are assisted on. So it's not like he's just strictly a lob threat and that's the only way he's finishing and that's why he has a high percentage. He's, you know, 40% of the time, he's off the bounce finishing at the rim. And I think that's that's something that a lot of guys that are, you know, rim runners, uh, really big athletic guys don't typically do. And at such a young age, showing that kind of skill set to me, he has lottery upside, and right now I have him at 14 on my big board. Um, because Ooh. I I know I know that might be crazy, but you know, I'm I'm gonna take a super switchable big that has the potential to stretch the floor, I know can protect the rim, can play in multiple schemes, uh, and has a good frame. Like I'm gonna take that over you know, a guy like Chet Howard or Chris Murray, which I have real questions about, uh, whereas I see the upside of Clowney, the type of defensive player that he could be a potential anchor for a team. This is a question for both you and D. Uh, so Noah, he's not just a great shooter at the rim and shows potential at three. He's a 62% shooter on jumpers right now, but He's only, because of NATO system, only shot like 9% of his shots from there. Uh, do you guys project him out to be that kind of either uh, at the rim or three-point shooter like the NBA shifting to? Or could we see him develop a mid-range ga- game like pretty consistently? I think it'll be based on who drafts him. Mm. So, and their needs. Um, like, Say, for instance, the Nets, they don't need Nick Claxton to shoot threes. Right. They're not going to ask him to develop that. Shoot mid-range jumpers. So they're not going to ask him to develop that. So if he goes to a team where their system is asking him to shoot more consistently as a jump shooter, then I think he will develop that. Um, And I also think that's also on him. Like, is that a will? Is that a want for him? Um, You know, does he want to shoot or is he a fine a pick and pop three point shooter and a person that catches it on a low block and can go to work on the, in the post. So those are the two things that I think will determine if he is improving his jump shot. Yeah. And I think Tuck, the question is like, what kind of mid range shots is he taking? Is it like, all right, he sets a pin down screen and he kind of pops to the ball after setting that pin down because his man either, you know, was, uh, going towards uh, like over commits or something like that and he makes a read or is it something where he can be a legitimate mid-range threat on the short roll uh, because then that makes it even more difficult in certain pick and roll coverages to guard him and it makes him at the three-level score where you can't just be like hey every time that no clowny is setting a pick in the pick and roll we know that he's a roll man or we know he's going to pop and so we can we're comfortable with switching that because you know, yeah, he's going to be able to shoot over anybody, but he's only shooting 32 or 33% off threes. We're not going to worry about it too much. But if he can be a short roller uh, and be like a three-level threat, then that's that's a difference maker. And that's like a pretty good sign that he's shooting at that level. Uh, the question is, can he be a good decision maker in yeah. the pick and roll, the roll person? Can he make the right read? And is he capable of making those passes? Um, but you know, like right now, uh, a team like Utah, for example, at 13, like 
putting him next to Larry Markinen or you could put him next to Walker Kessler. Like, imagine him and Walker Kessler playing together. Oh, yeah. I mean, like... That's, that's Jared Allen and uh, and Evan Mobley shit Evan right Mobley, there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's... Like, He's got a 4.7% block rate. Uh, he's he's a dog on the boards, too. Like He's, he's mm-hmm. an incredible offensive rebounder and defensive rebounder. I do worry about that decision-making. He had, he's, like, he's pretty turnover-prone. He, he has, I think he's averaging over two the turnovers whole team, all of Alabama. Yeah, that whole Alabama <laughs> team is uh, turnover-prone. But um, seeing, seeing his ability to like connect on plays is going to be a big thing for me because if, if, if a team doesn't task him with that, I I think like, you know, he's going to be a great, great piece on a team. It's just trying to figure out that ceiling. It's just, I don't know. I don't know on those decision-making fronts. Yeah. Right now in conference play. So three games, he has a 119 offensive rating per Ken Palm. Um, So that's that's definitely a nice sight to see uh and against some of the better competition he's been pretty good you know um outside of i guess that game against connecticut he wasn't phenomenal but he wasn't he wasn't bad like uh in north carolina he struggled but he didn't really play um so yeah. i don't know i i definitely i definitely see him being like definitely lottery potential you know i wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't go there but he has all the tools to be that guy where uh you know we'll talk about a guy a little bit later that i am much much lower on i am very curious to hear what he and and what's interesting with clowny is i i had him uh to like back in november as like a middle of the second round guy but i think he's like one of the clear risers of this uh season that's going to be work his way into the first round and you know if austin king gets his way into the lottery yeah i'm gonna manifest no clown <laughs> i would love to see your big board right before the draft and he goes Noah clowny. higher no Noah, Noah right now number two pick in the draft <laughs> yeah <number two>. it's <laughs> gonna go victor noah scoot brandon <laughs> okay but was i convincing at all did i at least defend my case of putting him in the lottery well enough i i think you had a very educated response on why you believe <laughs> okay all right why you're you not believe? The lottery. yeah why you believe not. <laughs> uh so there's there's another guy that played in that kentucky alabama game that is probably one of the fastest risers when thinking about uh from his junior year in high school to today uh interestingly enough he has a lower usage rate than noah Clowney does uh but he is by far and widely considered one of the best guard prospects in college basketball uh, probably the most debated on early lottery pick or mid lottery pick of of this season. D, what are your thoughts on Kentucky's case and Wallace? Um, first off, I think Kaysen is playing the wrong position in Cal's offense. I think Xavier yep. Wilder Wilder Kentucky down, and if you make Kaysen the one. He also doesn't have the right pieces around him. But if Kaysen is the primary point guard, I think Kentucky's a lot better offensively and defensively because he's a bigger guard. He can switch probably one through four. Um, 
he's very good. He plays very well with pace. Um, you can't slow him up. I mean, you can't speed him up. And, like, he picks and chooses where he goes and things like that. Um, I do want to do the ball consistently more in games. Like, I think today versus Alabama, I don't know if he went, like, one for five or something. It was rough. From it three. was rough. Um, so, and I do want to see fouled him. him out in the first half, too. He got two fouls with, like, what? 16 minutes left in yeah, the game. Yeah, he played five. Yeah, he played five minutes in the first half. Play. Uh, yeah, Hal needs to stop that shit. I do not understand why coach. And is- but he's 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 down to like a eight man roster, nine man roster right now. So I can kind of see why Cal's is doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think Kaysen would be a really good point guard in the NBA if he's on the right team. Um, I don't think. He's going to be like a high lottery pick. I think he'll be like mid to late lottery. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Do you see him being the primary ball handler on an NBA team? I do. The right system, really? okay. the right team, I do. I do think okay. that Casey Wallace can be a guard in the NBA. Interesting. In my opinion, I view, that is his position. I view him more as like a a combo like – where he's playing the two a lot. He can be on ball, but his shooting provides like because I don't think his handles there necessarily. Uh, mm. um, that's why that's why I'm a little hesitant. And like decision making wise, I'm not sure he's gonna be enough of a distributor. Um, but one thing that I do love about Kaysen, take a guess what Kaysen Wallace in transition is shooting at the rim. What do you think is oh good at the rim? 78%. Try 100%, D. It's literally <laughs> not bad. How many shots have been at the rim? Uh, 20, what's 20% of 40? He's taken, he's had 40 transition attempts. 20% of them have been at the rim. He's shooting 100%. So pretty good. He's shooting 80% on the season at the rim. He's eight that, for eight. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I mean, now he's only getting 20% of his shots at the rim, and that's Oscar Sheboy's fault. Uh, that's Coach Cal's fault. Uh, that clogged offense is disgusting to watch. Um, and if he had a little bit more spacing, I, we'd see him getting to the rim and being more aggressive because he's a really, really good line, like straight-line driver um, and is a total dog, and I would like to see that more. Um, he's shooting on the season 46% from three, 51% of his total shots are coming from the three point line. 90% of those are assisted on though. Do you see him developing into a guy that can shoot off the bounce or is he going to primarily be a guard that is just shooting catch and shoot threes? Hmm. I don't know if I can answer that question right now. I got to kind of go back and watch the film. Yeah. Um, but with the ball at such a high rate, I think that it can be developed. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why he's not taking off the dribble threes, which Cal might chew him out for taking off the dribble three. Um, he might tell him, hey. He might not have the ball in his hands enough, too. He's got Again, yeah. he's got less usage than Noah Clowney does. And he's probably the best shooter on Kentucky's team. 
Yeah. What is going on with Kentucky, man? I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. I, I wanted to talk to you about Chris Livingston, but Chris is going to have to find uh, some, some other opportunities, I feel like, before he goes. I don't know if he, he... – this is um kind of the B.J. Boston year mm, mm. of Kentucky for, for Cal. I see that vision. You get the talent and then and just uh, – Which is – Wow. Okay. 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 Hold on. I got to do a comp here. Sorry to cut in. (laughs) What do you guys think Devin Booker as a three point shooter at Kentucky? How met what percent of the threes that he made were assisted on? I have no idea. It's been so long. Devin Booker is a very good off the dribble three point shooter. Yeah. Now and yeah. How much were his shots assisted? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you ninety percent. I'm gonna give you no 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 D. Are you gonna take above or below ninety percent of his shots were assisted on? I see. See, I can't. Above, above, because we know, we know you. Ninety-eight point three, ninety-eight point three. Literally, was not allowed to shoot off the bounce threes. Not just that, that Kentucky team was so deep, Mm -hmm. so good, and they had so many other players that. You want to know what's insane? Was, was probably only asked to shoot the ball because Tyler yeah. Hero probably has a similar number to that as well. Yeah, what was Tyler's? Tyler's uh, assistant. Uh, okay, but I just got to say, Aaron Harrison and Andrew Harrison took more shots than Carl Anthony Towns. That's insane. What the fuck? Yeah, he is, but. <laughs> uh, okay, Tyler Hero. Tyler He's Hero. The wet tissue. Uh, 81.7% of his threes were Jesus. That considering what his game is in the NBA, like, bro, like, okay, and, dude. And, that, and that goes to show that Cap telling these guys, you shoot off the dribble and I, you'll be sitting right here next to me. Stop going to Kentucky. Yo, stop. stop going to, okay, okay. I'm going to Kentucky. D, 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 we, uh, I had a conversation with Austin yesterday that I want your opinion on. Uh, we okay. have a comp for Cal. Cal, as a recruiter and a coach, is kind of like one of those uh, resale car lot owners who is just has a souped up Escalade all the time and it just depreciates. Throughout the entire time, he gets he gets these high profile five star recruits. He doesn't advance their game at all. He just makes them do like the most basic rudimentary ideas of what what they're supposed to contribute on offense. And eventually, he just trades them in for another new Escalade. Trades them in for another new Escalade. And then you know, if there's not a lot of mileage on it, it's a great car to get from this dude afterwards. He's got dealer plates on all of them. It doesn't go anywhere. Like why? Why would you choose Kentucky outside of the clout? Like, is there is there anything about? I mean, yeah, there's a track to the NBA, but that's is that because of Cal or is that simply because of what you were in recruiting before, before. getting to Kentucky? Yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. It's more so on the player, yeah, because you got to show up and you got to do what you were being recruited to do, but. Kentucky is also who Kentucky is. And since Cal has been there, he's had years where he's had five first-round draft picks. He's had years where he's had two first-round draft picks, three, but four. Which like, one of those kids didn't come in as a first-round pick, and then you're like, oh, 
that kid's a first round pick now because of what he's done at Kentucky under Calipari. Like, name me a player that you're like, wow, their draft stock has drastically improved going to Kentucky. I genuinely don't think I could name a single player that went I think, from eh, I think, I, to wow. I think Tyler Hero's draft stock made him – he went from a three-, four-year player to a one-and-done player by okay. going to Kentucky instead of Wisconsin. Okay. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, but that's just because – That's NBA's like it, right? Wisconsin basketball. Yeah, uh, and, and, and Tyler's like the main person that just pops into my head because yeah, he was going yeah, yeah. to Wisconsin – Wisconsin was, I think, Bo Ryan was the coach, maybe their new coach now. But I don't I think think they switched over guard at that point. I, I don't, I don't think he would have been on that same track as a one and done player had he stuck yeah. with Wisconsin. I, Did you? I agree. Could you imagine what Tyler Hero would be like if he went to Wisconsin and didn't end up in Miami, by the way? That dude was built for those two destinations. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine Tyler Hero being in the Cole Center just screaming, I'm a fucking bucket to all the fans? <laughs> and then singing the fight song at the end of the game. <laughs> Him teamed up with Brad Davidson. Jesus Christ. Bo would have still been there, right? Like he would have been playing for Bo, right? Uh, was, Greg wasn't there yet. Let's see. But here. just like imagine like. Bo just being like, all right, you got to slow down the tempo, Tyler. You're going too fast, bro. When did Greg Gard take over? No, Greg Gard took over in to the, uh, 2016. So oh, it so it would have been Greg. It might have been – that would have been his freshman year. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, still, I mean – I think <laughs> – no. Was he 2019? Uh, Tyler Hero was on the – 2017 no 2018 2019 2018 2019 yeah 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 so he would have been great guard would have been would have even still it's that's bo ryan's offense like yeah yeah yeah. he would have he would have still um he would have hated it imagine tyler hero hanging out with brad davison yeah it's just tough (laughs) it's just tough to picture hard to picture um but like, okay, so with with Kaysen, do you see like a world where where Kaysen is like the one of the primary scores on a team, or do you think that he's largely going to fill the role of connecting and then uh, playing tough defense? Like, do you see him being a, a two way guy or predominantly a defensive guy? Hmm. I think he can become a Drew Holiday-like player. Okay. It'll take time. It'll take proper development. But I think – because it took Drew the proper development to become who Drew Holiday is today. Drew Holiday mm-hmm. didn't come into the league out of UCLA, who we know Drew Holiday as of today. Definitely not. So the right the right team drafts Kaysen. The right coaches get in Kaysen's ear. The right player development happens for Kaysen. And, yes, he can become that two-way guard like a Drew Holiday. If there was a team in the lottery that you would be like, this is the the best case scenario for Case and Wallace, what team would it be? That's tough. Let me let me let me run a draft simulator. Sure. Lotto simulator. Okay, so 
we we all pretty much agree he's somewhere between eight and fourteen. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. The eighth pick That's is ter- eighth pick is Toronto. Ninth pick is DC. Tenth Oklahoma City, Atlanta, Orlando, Utah, Phoenix. Toronto. They need a guard bad. Toronto. Would, Toronto. And uh, he. If they keep Van Vliet too, like he'd be a nice fit next to FVD. Do you think they're keeping Van Vliet? Yep. I don't know. Uh, I don't think and then, so, and but then, I think they did. And then you become even stronger defensively because Scott right. Barnes is going to guard. Pascal Siakam is going to guard. Um, so now you have your, your front court players that are going to guard. You just add another guard that can guard because Fred is too small. So. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Fred's too small point, and like point, point guards are gonna shoot over him. Like he can't guard your best. Are you, like, are you allowed to say bad things about Fred Van Vliet? Um I'm not I'm not gonna necessarily say that I'm saying <laughs> bad things about him because he's a great player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, this be realistic. For the record, Fred Van Vliet does have uh, a U team on the Under Armour circuit. So. On the on the rise, yes. Yeah, yeah. Team exactly. MVV, shout out to yeah. uh, Team Fred Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, I got in a little, uh, not in a skirmish necessarily, but a little discussion <laughs> with their head coach at one point. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, inside scoop on Sky, um, life was just a little bit too tough for him at Illinois. So I guess the mm. Brad Underwood um, coaching wasn't really with Sky. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, and like imagine going back to the case in, in Toronto, like the switchability with him and Scotty on defense would be so fun. Like sick. That's that's Sick. like that. That's that's a UCI UCI dream right there. Like because mm. Scotty has potential to become defensive player of the year in the next few seasons. Like, yeah, that's the type of clamp Scotty Barnes has. Yeah, yeah. So if you're Toronto and if the, in that range, in that eight range, you have guys potentially like maybe Nick Smith, Jarris Walker, Cam Whitmore, Asar Thompson. Kaysen or Anthony Black. Do you think that Kaysen is the top guy on that list? Or do you think that Masai falls in love with Anthony Black, unfortunately, and he just decides to go all massive wings again? I think that would be not a good go. No, I mean, I would not want Anthony Black on the Toronto Raptors. Like, no, is Anthony Black? It's not fitting. Is Anthony Black? Is Anthony Black not what like Scotty's floor as an offensive player is? Like, he's just he's just Scotty with a G next to his name rather than a (laughs) F. Like, I don't know, man. I'm I'm very intrigued. Uh, I'm sure this will be a conversation later on Anthony Black, but uh. I just think I just think Toronto desperately needs scoring from that position too. Just considering the rest of their pieces. Um, Agreed. Yeah, uh, no, I think they need guard play though. Like you yeah, gotta yeah. you gotta have guard play, especially in the NBA too. Like right, the right, guards right. are so good in the NBA, so you yeah. have to have guard. Play. I yeah, I just meant I just meant like an ability to to create for yourself from outside too, as well as facilitate. Um, yeah. Uh, so another guy that Austin and I love that you're familiar with that we wanted to talk to you about is Houston freshman 
Jairus Walker. Six foot eight. Uh does a little bit of everything. He's he's 62% at the rim, 39% from jumpers, 42% of his shots are jumpers, 32% of shots from three. He's shooting 39.3% from three. What about Jairus do you think makes him a great prospect for the next level? Mm. Or do you disagree? I might catch some. I'm no no no. no. I might catch some flack for what I'm about to say. I think Jairus is a more offensively sounded and bigger Draymond Green. Yo! Yo! Oh, my (laughs) God! (laughs) Oh, D! I don't want to hate that. I don't want to hate that at all. Like, he's got the rebounding. Draymond is what you're saying. He's got the rebound and passing, <laughs> and he will not shoot like he has a backpack on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So he, has, he, has, he has a high IQ. He's 6'8", 240. Like, Freak athlete. Thick. Thick and athletic. athlete. Thick and athletic. Freak athlete. He's, got, he's got that Houston ass, for sure. On our last <laughs> podcast, is the... Jairus the Stallion. Hook my man up with Megan the Stallion. Jairus the Stallion. Now, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, So, um, some people might not like that, but that is that's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. I mean, it's hard to disagree, right? He's he's got a 14.1 assist rate, while he's still like, you know, as a freshman, not asked to do a bunch. He's got. You know exactly. Easily, Marcus Sasser is is the guy. Marcus yeah, Sasser so. is the guy. Jamal <laughs> Shedd is the guy. Trayvon Mark is the guy. Yeah. They got like three guards that can do a shit ton. So like Jared, like this is also why Houston is by far one of the most fun teams to watch because they're all dogs on defense and they just yep. they just play super selflessly and and move the ball really well. Um, Jarris also. To go with your 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 take, twelve point seven turnover rate. He's he's like just point six percent worse than their lead guard Marcus Sasser, who by all accounts is you know take your pick between Kendrick Davis and Marcus Sasser about best point guard in the country. Honestly, uh, do you so do you see Jarris? Obviously, you see Jarris as a connector. Uh, do you see Jarris? Oh, sure. You see, you see, Cheris is like a, a primary weapon on offense, or do you think he that can is, be. is he can? But be. but I I think him in the league is more so of a give me twelve points, give me eight rebounds, give me six assists, give me fifteen points, give me eight rebounds, give me six assists type of okay player depending on the system that he's in. I'm not saying that he's going to be like. Um, a way better Draymond in the sense of he'll go out there and give you 30 a game. Will, 30, will, will he 30, drop 10 and will eight? He, yeah. Will he drop 30 from time to time? Yes, because he has that offensive skill. But I think his average after a while will be between the 15 and 20 point per game range. So significantly wow. better than Draymond Green. Wow. I, I, I'm very I am curious. high right now from that take. Yeah. I am <laughs> vibing. <laughs> yeah. 
Tuck usually is just microdosing on the podcast. It's like a full <laughs> yeah. Yo, I fuck on Jarris Walker. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you? Well, I mean, one of the biggest questions is: Can Jarris play the five? Is that a real possibility? Like, can he be the rim protector that Draymond Green is? I have my doubts there a little bit. Uh, if he can't play the five, he has to play the four. Uh, is he going to play with the rim, like a, a floor spacing five? Or if he's not, can he become the three-point shooter that allows for floor spacing? Or can he become a top five short roll decision maker in the NBA? Uh, what did you see on the UA circuit that um, made you believe that Jarris could either be that shooter, that short roll guy, or maybe even that rim protector that allows him to play the five? Um, I saw Jarris be a one-man wrecking ball. Well. UAA. Hmm. Nobody could guard him. Nobody could score over him. Like it was just it was crazy to watch him on the circuit. Um but I do think best, that he can play the five. Who is the best guy that he went against where you're like, oh shit, this guy is different? Like, did he get to go up against Chet? No, I don't think so. I don't know if he played six teams the year that oh, okay. he was on seven teams. Okay. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know for sure. So I can't give you a for sure answer right there. Because um, he would have went up – if he did, he would have went up against Eddie Lampkin at TCU and Chet. Oh, okay. And, and <laughs> that. I'm and, a fun match. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie was you, – you couldn't move him. You still no, can't move him. You can't no. move him. No, no, he, no. <laughs> but on the circuit, on the circuit, Eddie was seventy pounds heavier at TCU. What? So, oh my God! Try, try, try moving Eddie Lampkin at three hundred pounds. Kenny Lofton, like <laughs> <laughs> that's so, wild. Um, and like, imagine back a... to Jarris. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I'm go just ahead, imagining ahead, like what like Eddie Lampkin, thick as hell, talking shit. It would have been exactly. like wild. With guard skills. That's the thing. Like, I don't think Jamie Dixon allows Eddie to really show his ball handling. Let Eddie cook. Let Eddie but cook. Eddie can handle the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the ball out of Mike Miles' hands. <laughs> Let Andy Lambkin initiate the offense. I mean, like, I will never forget. I will never forget when TCU played Arizona in the tournament, and Eddie was just talking shit the entire game. Oh, and and and, and beach time shit talker Kirk Reese was like, uh, oh, uh, okay. Uh, well, I I'm not used to getting this back. Uh, <laughs> But but yeah, uh, going going back to Jarris. Uh, so, uh, sorry, I'm just thinking. I personally, Eddie. <laughs> yeah. So if if he did, um, if he was playing 16 years and he or he played up as a 16 year old while they were on the circuit as well, then that was a competition that he would have played. But I can't recall if he okay. played up or not. Um, and Jarris was a man amongst boys last year, so. I don't think there's maybe a there is somebody that, that comes to mind. Them. Yeah. Um, but I do think Jarvis can play the five in the league. Okay. Especially small ball, small okay. ball five. I don't think this is his primary position, 
Um, I do think he's a small ball five. I do think he will be able to space the floor. Um, he's only going to continue to improve. Yeah. yeah. Austin and I have like, while taking uh, this whole NBA draft and scouting thing uh, very seriously and, and like developing this podcast, one thing we've been doing is creating soft rules to go by little, little indicators that may not just be on the basketball court, but just like cerebrally tells you that a guy has, has it. And one of those things is the decision-making on where you go to school. Jarris. Yeah, in Houston is maybe the smartest decision that any recruit made this this offseason. One hundred percent. We were talking about this last po- last podcast, but you have to be a fucking psycho to want to play for San Kelvin Sampson. Yeah, bro, they were talking be, on the broadcast. Borderline, you have to be stupid. Yeah, yeah, like that. They spent the entire <laughs> summer. They're eight weeks of practice only working on defense. That's all they worked on. They didn't even work on offensive sets. To be a five-star guy that's like a top 10 recruit in the country and be like, yeah, that's what I want to go do, you have to be a psychopath. You have to be a psycho. He's a dog, though. So, yeah. And that's just what happens when you're, you go and you prove that I can go play for a crazy motherfucker like Kelvin Sampson. Yep. Yep. He's in the top 200 for block rate too. Uh, just going back to the idea of like him being a rim protector. He's he's mm-hmm. he's able to defend at a high level, obviously, or else he wouldn't be playing up on Kelvin's team. Um, and he switch. He he will be able to guard guards. Oh so. yeah, yeah. Where, um, and what what I love about him so much is that he's like a violent athlete that is super aggressive, but yet he's under control. Like you're not like whoa, Jerry, exactly. you are out of control right now you're making stupid decisions it's like no he's really aggressive but he still has control and good decision making on the defensive end while being he has a great a great motor yeah Mm -hmm. he has a great motor absolutely and and Uh, i think that's why i have the draymond green type comparison yeah draymond can do some dumb shit every night on defense but for the most part draymond is a very intelligent defender so so with like kind of looking at the other power forward center combos that are in this draft class where do you have him in comparison to say cam and uh gg jackson do you have him above those two or hmm i do i do i do i do where especially over gg Especially over to be talking about decision making when going to school. Talk about where you want to go to school. Uh, There's there's two guys that come to mind for that. We're gonna get to uh, the other one that is not Gigi Jackson. Uh, With with um, Jarris though, is there is there a place you want him to land the most? Like kind of just looking at it, uh, not re re ranking, but uh, so like six six on is. Okay, five on. Detroit, Charlotte, San Antonio, Detroit. Toronto. Detroit? Detroit is probably where I see him. Because when you, when you asked that before even knowing what order you're going to, Detroit was the first place that came to mind. You put Jaden Ivey, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Duren, and Jairus Walker on the court together. I'm sorry. You just, you nice just booting out Isaiah Stewart? <laughs> Isaiah's going to fight you a, on his yeah, way out. Isaiah He's not going go. out. <laughs> I would not mess with Isaiah bye, Stewart, bye. bro. Bye, yeah. bye. <laughs> Yo, I was at the I was at the I was at the Blazers Pistons game and like low key, 
Like they're the bad boys again. Like the, Isaiah Stewart just hacks and, the shit out of everybody. <laughs> but you replace Isaiah Stewart with a smarter defender, and not just somebody that's out there trying to take your head off. Like, like, yo, is Jarius like not just Dre like Draymond with better shooting, but is he not Trevion Williams with like more physical attributes? Like he kind of has a similar like ability to pass. Uh, we saw that with Jaden at Purdue, and like when those two were right, they were great together. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think that's that's super interesting to have three passers like Jaden, Cade, in um, Jarris would be now. Would be now now offense just flows instead yeah. of instead of us running sets, we run actions, and you guys determine where the ball goes and it, how it, it gets there. It's a bummer it, that it makes the it. game so much easier. It's a bummer that Bogdan wouldn't be there probably next season because that dude would feast with those three yes, guys no. next yes, to him. Yes, he would. Um, he would. So, and I think, I think Jarris to Detroit helps Jaden Ivey. Yeah, yeah, totally. You're talking to two people that are not high on Jaden Ivey. So. <laughs> it's really fast. <laughs> he is fast. He's sure fast. But sometimes too fast. <laughs> <laughs> Does he do anything else? I he'll continue to develop. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's he took he took he's like taking two big steps, I feel like. He took a huge step his freshman season into his sophomore season. And then I I don't know what you can make of this Detroit team because like simply they're obviously trying to tank. And then on top of that. The whole thing for Jaden this season was learning to play off ball more with Cade, and and that yeah, and Cade's hurt, so now you got to put the ball in his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so yeah. Uh, all right. So moving on from Jarris, uh, here's here's a guy we'd love your takes takes on because I was high on him going into this season just because I thought he was really interesting in terms of his athleticism and he and he seemed super fluid in in uh, prep school, high school for college um that's Oregon's Khalil Ware uh Khalil came in as as a bona fide uh center prospect into a very crowded center position at Oregon uh with uh Napoli Dante and Nathan Biddle it's only playing around 21 minutes per game averaging 8.5 points five rebounds 0.9 assists where where do you see Khalil at the next level, or how do you see him progressing towards the draft? Mm-hmm. So I got to see Khalil at USA U18 tryouts in Houston um, this past summer, and I wasn't high on him. Um, yes, he's very athletic. Yes, you probably can throw it to the rim and 10 times out of 10, he'll catch a lob. But there's nothing more that he does than that. Maybe he rebounds the ball. But if anything, he's a Nick Claxton in the league. A role player, big man that's going to screen and roll and dive to the rim. Yo, the energy in this podcast (laughs) from us shouting about Jairus, it feels like we're at a funeral right now. Um... (laughs) Okay, uh... I, I just so I I uh, grew up an Oregon State fan so I have just an yeah. utter disdain for the University of Oregon and Austin's I have really 
I have really Dana Altman pilled Tuck Clary. No, 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 no. You did not Dana Altman pill me. I came to you and I was like, hey, can we talk about Dana Altman uh, in Five Stars? And you're like, brother, this has been my agenda for my entire life. For a long time. D, do you know how many five-star prospects, strictly five-star prospects that Dana Altman has brought in in the 10 years that he has been coach at the University of Oregon? It's under seven. Am I going to be under? It's four. He's had 10 five-star prospects. None of them have panned out except for Bull Bull, who barely played. And where was Bull Bull drafted? <laughs> yeah, in the second round. Yeah, We're talking yeah. about we'll run we'll run through it very quickly. CJ Walker, where the hell is he? Lewis King, Jabari Brown, Mookie Cook, we'll see. Uh Nafali Dante. Mm-hmm. Kwame <laughs> Evans, we'll see. Troy Brown, eh. Uh, Kalel Ware, we'll see, and then Bull Bull, and then he's got a ton of four star guys too. I mean, Kwame's still in high school, right? That's only Kwame's only committed to them right now, right? Yeah, Kwame and Mookie. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I I haven't seen Mookie, but but I did get to see Kwame. I got to see Kwame. He was at Elite Twenty Four, and um, he's just a big. Yeah, yeah. I mean. The point here is that Dana Altman gets high-level recruits at probably as good of a level, if not better, than any non-blue blood school in America and has done less with more than any coach in college basketball. That dude has had so much talent come through Oregon and has done nothing with them. The only time that they have truly been a contending team is when they had Peyton Pritchard, who is just a fucking winner. That's it. That's it. I so when a guy chooses Oregon, I'm immediately like, uh, don't believe in you. Just won't believe in you. <laughs> and Kalel, where is that? Is that is that is that part Dana Altman, or is, is that part Dana Altman part? State fandom, or is that just like uh, uh... it's part Dana? <laughs> it's part guy just choosing Oregon because of Nike. Uh, it's also like what Oregon players have been good in the NBA. Like, I mean, if you like Dylan Brooks, uh, I mean, I got questions about my you. favorite. My favorite team is the Grizzlies, and I pray we trade him every day. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, I just, I just want to look up and be like Dylan Brooks to Detroit for Bogdanovich. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like Grizzlies fans are so done. They're so done with Dylan Brooks, man. He is not a good NBA player. Like he's actively bad. He is the biggest like flaw with the Grizzlies by far. Um, so, I mean, he has not panned out any NBA talent, except for, I guess, Bull Bull, which but, you, know, you like, said that, that before this season. Yeah. yeah. This, this is because when he was in Denver, he didn't play. So right. no, this, this, is, yeah, this is 20 Dino games. Home. We're saying Bull Bull is a success story after 20 games. Uh, like yeah. I'm not, well, he, he, he's probably going to be MIP this year. <laughs> yeah. Probably, yeah. I don't know. They they turned the MIP into like 
who's the best MVP player that number- we can't give MVP to? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, but with Khalil, uh, I want I want you to guess what do you think Khalil wear? Uh, Khalil wears percentage field goal percentage at the rim in transition is. 60%. 60%? Try 33%. Six, seven footer. Terrible. Seven foot gazelle that is just unable to finish at the rim. Uh, he's that is terrible. Dunk the ball. He's he's 62% at the rim in non-transition, so that's clearly lobs. Um yeah, I he's he's a 29% shooter from three. And like, yeah, no, 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 he can't shoot. And, no, but also with like the guys around him, like that's just <laughs> how is he supposed to improve, and how is he supposed to get space to improve with all the front court pieces or centers? It's not like Will Richardson is like a facilitating guard or a guard that's trying to get guys clean looks predominantly. It, I just, I feel like, I feel like. Yeah, it, best case scenario, Nick Claxton, which is like kind of a bummer because I thought I thought he had he had some range to like develop into it. You know what's interesting? I feel like here's the thing: Nick Claxton is such a better decision maker and could do way more with the ball at Georgia than Kalel Ware can do. I that's, like that's fair. That's fair. Like Kalel Ware, to me, the only upside with him, and this is you know meaningful, is as a secondary defender that comes over and is an off-ball rim protector outside of that i don't see it like and it's just a strict lob threat but man his decision making is slow like he doesn't know what he Mm -hmm. wants to do with the ball like i was watching him against colorado and i was just like man you are afraid to do anything with the basketball you can't wait to give this thing up and then he finally had to shoot it because he couldn't get it to anybody and that shot release is Long and slow, long and slow. Oof. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> That's tough. That's <laughs> tough. D, uh, D, would you take him in the first round? No. I I would tell him to go back to school. If I'm in the NBA, transfer. I would, transfer. I would tell him to go back to school. Transfer. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'd say a Vic. Is there is there a center like? clear center that you're high on in this draft class? You can't say Jarris Walker. To me, I don't think he'll play the five predominantly in the league, so yeah. I wouldn't say Jarris. Uh, no. Zach Eady, if he goes to the right team. Mm. And they Ooh. used him in the right way. Would you would you take Kyle uh Philip Kaus- Filipowski before Khalil Ware? Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As okay. a much more offensive um ready player than Khalil Ware. He's in just gonna NBA. be a nightmare on the defensive end, but he can shoot. Yeah, yeah he's a good passer yeah. too. Really good decision maker, honestly. And he can he can handle the ball too. So yeah. it's not like you can't put the ball in his hands. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to me that what that dude. Cl- but I think he would. He too. might be a four in the league, depending yeah, on who, yeah. 
with. Yeah. I, it's so wild to me. Four, that... He's a four for Duke right now because they start young at the five. Yeah. They, you know, they don't start Derek Lively. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. We're not even going to talk about Derek Lively <laughs> probably at all because my man is not getting a good look in the league. I, I, I think he's got to come back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. I, at best case scenario, he's like a middle of the second round pick at this point. At best. Yeah. I, I have him, I have him at like 42, 43. Um, yeah. I would take Deron Holmes before Derek Lively. Oh, he's, he, they, he's saying, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he's like a league type. Like no, no, no. I just mean like player, but but yeah. I just mean second round talent. Yeah, yeah. Like, All right, say something nice round. about Auburn, Tuck. Would you take Janai Broom or would you take Derek Lively in the draft? Take, I would take Derek Lively. Oh, okay. All right. I tried Auburn fans. I tried. <laughs> nah, nah. John Janai Broom at a higher level of competition. Mm, mm-mm. No yeah. thanks. All right, I tried. I tried. I'm, I'm not out. gonna say anything. Right. I'm are, not are gonna you, say anything nice about Auburn, but are you against Auburn? We we have a very rocky relationship with the Auburn fan base. Yeah. Man. They are some some hardos, so is there, a is lot there... of non-ball knowers over there in Auburn, Alabama. Yeah. Uh it all it all started with and I know you'll be on the right side of history here, but the Chet versus Jabari debate. Um, mm. And that's when things, that's when things really went south. Yeah. You know, for the record, I'm assuming you would take Chet Holmgren over Jabari Smith Jr. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I think yeah. Chet would be right there with Paolo in the race for rookie of the Wow. So, so you're there, you're there even after what pa- Paolo has done this season, just being just a consistent 20 and 10 guy, basically like borderline all-star. Like you can make a case for Paolo being an all-star if he was, you know, not in the Eastern conference. For sure. Um, and I, I think he still might make it. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, yeah. With Chet, man. Uh, like, okay. So take Victor, off the table who would be the most fun because i'm just like i'm from washington d washington state so the oklahoma city thunder i i have to despise like there's just a part of me you stole the sonics from me clay bennett go fuck yourself uh but like (laughs) dude the thunder are about to be so damn fun like shay Josh Giddy's becoming a consistent three-point shooter. Chet is going to be absurd in the PNR lob threat, and then just unstoppable. Uh, uh, you know, weak side defense coming in to protect the rim. Who? Who? Uh, not not counting Vic. Who is the guy that you think would be the most fun to get on the Thunder? Probably Amen. Ooh. Oh. Just because, okay. Shay's gonna do Shay. So if you get that 
freak of an athlete to where Shay and Josh can get out in the open court and I'm in just run with them. It'll be a dunk show every time rim for our men. Oh my god. And you you surround all men with Chet, who's a good decision maker, Shay's a good decision maker, Josh, Josh, who's a good Josh decision is maker. a great decision maker. So you, and if Almond is just like, hey, I don't really have to worry about shooting because I'm just gonna cut, and the floor is completely spaced, as long as Josh is a good three point shooter, yeah, that would be that'd be super fun. That'd be super fun. The Tuck league needs to, the league needs to have like forty teams at this point. It's too deep. Yeah, it's too deep. It's too deep. <laughs> Expand to Seattle. Yeah, Bill, give, give, give us like six more teams at least, bro. Yeah. Like this is getting insane. I, I think in the next CBA they're gonna talk adding two more teams. Yeah, I think Vegas and Seattle will. will like, uh, and that'll push yeah, Memphis. Yeah, they'll be yeah, the rightfully so. We belong. Rightfully yeah. so. And like Yeah, you guys are Western Conference. Yeah, that You're- sucks. I hate it. I hate <laughs> it when the Blazers play you guys in Memphis because it's like a 4 p.m. game. Like Yeah, sucks. Yeah. Um <laughs> like, yeah, I the NBA needs to expand to like somewhere between 32 and 34 teams. They're clearly only gonna add two at most. Uh, but like if you expand the league and drop the games down to like 60 games a season, that's the like that's already all three of our favorite sport and professional sport, but like that would be the best professional sport by far in America, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. and I even think like you could play like sixty-five games and it'd still be yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe seventy, but eighty-two—that's a lot. Eighty-two, so much. Eighty-two, so much, especially with like how they travel now and like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 interesting because like the league knows that the quality of competition get is like watered down, and then like they also are like trying to punish teams for resting guys, and it's like. But I think that, that's why they want to try to do the in season turn and things like that to try to incentivize not resting your players and things like that. Yeah. Uh, is there is there anybody else you want to talk about? Hmm. Not right now. No, I think I've covered it. Yeah. Yeah. But for all We've you guys out about there, Jairus, Jairus will be nice. Jairus, Jairus, president. Jairus, twenty twenty eight. will be very, <laughs> very nice. D, thank you so much for joining us. D Coleman at underscore D Coleman on Twitter. Thank you so much for your time, and we hope to talk to you again soon. I appreciate you guys, um, and I will. Anytime you guys need me, just give me a call, and I'll pop up and give some takes that people might not agree with. Yo, uh, give us give us more <laughs> give us more Draymond comps. That was <laughs> that was that was that good stuff, man. <laughs>